Hello, this is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. This is Soul School, Lesson 149, Faith, Freedom, Art, and Choice. Before I get into Soul School today, I want to give you a reminder that there is a wonderful event planned for June 5th through 7th in New Mexico. To find out more about this, go to sparkmymuse.com and see what's available. You can go to eventbrite.com and search Sacred Spaces Santa Fe to find out too. And if you need financial assistance to come, there is now some available. Don't let that be the main reason that you don't come. Make sure to reach out, and then we can see what we can do to make it more financially feasible for you to make it. Today I'm going to be reading from a book by Madeline Lingle. It's called Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art. This was originally published in 1980, and I bought a copy in 2001 when they re-released it with some editing. Because this was written basically a generation ago, There are some things in here that are interesting to revisit because of the span of time that's happened since she wrote it. And also, she passed away in 2007. And so this was before the advent of social media as we know it now. There was no president tweeting on Twitter 100 times a day. There wasn't news being broken in this way instantly. And right before our eyes in real time, people streaming live their interactions with the police and so forth. And I think it's very interesting to, to revisit some of these words for an amazing creative person, a kind of wise sage. For those of you that aren't that familiar with Madeline Lingle, she might be most familiar for a younger generation of people for A Wrinkle in Time, which is a movie that Oprah Winfrey and Reese Witherspoon and others were part of a few years ago. But she was born in... 1918. She died in 2007. An American writer of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, young adult fiction. And of course, The Wrinkle in Time was one of her books. Also, A Wind in the Door, A Swiftly Tilting Planet, Many Waters, An Acceptable Time. Her books reflected her Christian faith and a very strong interest, personal interest in science. The show notes for this episode will be available when you support the program for a dollar, and you can find a lot of links to different sites about her, different information, links to her books, and much more. I really appreciate when you donate a dollar or more and sponsor the podcast because it helps me pay the bills to create this podcast. And also it lets you in on the Access Pass every week to find more available about each episode and to get some of the news that I do. I used to be a blogger back in 2007 or so. I used to blog quite a bit, sometimes up to three times a week. I don't blog anymore on a regular basis, and I am writing a book that's coming out in 2021. And so by joining as a patron, you will get blog posts that I do. For the most part, I only do them in that form to the people who really want to support my work and are interested in what I'm doing day to day. I am thrilled to be able to write for Fortress Press and to bring you a book that will be on spiritual formation and the landscape of the heart. It's something I've been wanting to write for about 11 years. It's an incredible honor to be able to write about this topic and more information will come as the project unfolds. For now, I want to read to you from page 115 in this fascinating book, 
Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art. This book involves lots of small reflections, and I'll read the table of contents to you so you can get an idea of some of what is contained in this little book, which I recommend that anyone who is a writer, an artist, or creative of any kind who is interested in the intersection of faith and art, creativity, any thoughtful person would really be interested in reading her words. The chapters go like this in this book. Cosmos from Chaos, Icons of the True, Healed, Whole, and Holy, A Coal in the Hand, Probable Impossibles, Keeping the Clock Wound, Names and Labels, The Bottom of the Iceberg, Do We Want the Children to See It, The Journey Homeward, The Other Side of Silence, Feeding the Lake. And... This book goes a long way in showing us as creative people, as people who make things or write things or create things, how do we sustain ourselves for the vital work that we do? It's prophetic work, really, and it's necessary. On page 115, she writes about freedom and choice. And here is a little snippet that I thought was really interesting and was happy to share it with you today. She writes... Freedom is a terrible gift, and the theory behind all dictatorships is that, quote, the people, unquote, do not want freedom. They want bread and circuses. They want workmen's compensation and fringe benefits and TV. Give up your free will. Give up your freedom to make choices. Listen to the expert, and you will have three cars in your garage Stake on the table, and you will no longer have to suffer the agony of choice. Choice is an essential ingredient of fiction and drama. A protagonist must not simply be acted upon. He must act by making a choice, a decision to do this rather than that. A series of mistaken choices throughout the centuries has brought us to a restricted way of life in which we have less freedom than we are meant to have. And so we have a sense of powerlessness and frustration, which comes from our inability to change the many terrible things happening on our planet. All the Faust stories are studies in the results of choice. Dostoevsky story of the Grand Inquisitor in The Brothers Karamazov is one of the most brilliant pieces of Christian writing that I know, and one of the most frightening, because the Grand Inquisitor, like many dictators, is plausible. He wants people to be happy. He does not want them to suffer. The Church, because of the great love it has for humanity, has done its best to reverse all the damage caused by Jesus with his terrible promise of the truth that will make us free. We do not want to be free, the Grand Inquisitor assures Jesus. We want these stones to be turned into bread. Why would God give the gift of freedom to creatures who are not ready for it, who have kept making wrong choices for thousands and thousands of years? Ever since Eve listened to the snake, freedom is a mistake. We might well agree with the Grand Inquisitor, 
as we drive through the slums of any of our great cities where buildings are gutted by tenants who are so frustrated by the lack of heat in winter, no hot water ever, and sometimes no water at all, that they resort to burning the buildings in order to get relocated. Or buildings gutted by landlords, not all landlords are vicious and greedy, who can't afford to heat them at the present price of oil or to keep the hot water and in desperation burn the building for the insurance money and get out. If all our freedom has done is build up our financially bankrupt, corrupt, tottering cities, what good is it? Neither philosophy nor theology helps me much here. The painters and writers who see the abuse and misuse of freedom and cry out for justice, for the helpless poor, the defenseless old, give me more hope. As long as anybody cares, all is not lost. As long as anybody cares, it might be possible for something to be done about it. There are still choices open to us. All doors are not closed. As long as anybody cares, it is an icon of God's caring. And we know that the light is stronger than the dark. I am encouraged by the young people who express their caring by giving several years of their lives to the Peace Corps or VISTA, or Food for the Hungry, who shun shoddy workmanship, who are building their own furniture, making pottery, doing needlework, in a striving for that excellence we have lost by some of our choices. I do not decry all that technology has given us. In the, quote, olden days, unquote, I would have died in childbirth with both Josephine and Bayan, and I'm glad to be here in this alarming and disastrous and marvelous world. Western civilization may be on the decline, but a civilization which has produced Bach and Rembrandt and Dostoevsky, to limit myself to three favorites, cannot be tossed aside as worthless. Bach, who, in terms of the evolutionary process, is as close to us in time as last night. Bach will always pull me back and give me the courage to accept that what our free will is meant to do is to help God write the story. And that ends on page 118 in Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art by Madeline Lingle. What I want to draw our attention to for a moment is that some of this was written in 1980, and that's quite a while ago now. The world that she was speaking of is a pre-internet world. And it's almost difficult now to even think about what was the world like then. Now, it's from my childhood, and I do remember it well. I remember no Internet. I remember computers that weren't connected to each other, and I remember trying to find things out through the phone book. But for a lot of people, that is either a very distant memory or not a memory at all. You were born later than 1980. What she talks about was problematic then. It's even more problematic now because now we have algorithms that choose for us. What could have been a multiplicity of choice with the Internet actually has been a choice reduction that can be very easily manipulated by regimes or companies that have their own agendas and are motivated by profits and their advertisers and their stockholders. And so what appears to be choice on a Google search or or some such thing isn't at all a choice. It's based on our previous buying habits or our previous viewing habits 
or what our Facebook friends or Twitter friends have enjoyed watching, and therefore we are lumped into an algorithm, giving us less and less choice all the time under the guise that, that we have it. One of the most dangerous things is to think that we are in a free democracy and have freedom of choice when actually it's quite curated. Real freedom is quite out of our hands because it's controlled. Much of it is controlled by people way above our pay grade. So I think what's interesting is how she points out that dictators want to give us what we want. That is to make us happy. And to be happy is also to lose our freedom. In other words, if someone wants to make you happy all the time, beware. Because in wanting to be happy all the time, in wanting to always have bread on the table, so to speak, and the luxuries, you are also handing over your choice to somebody else. We're allowing companies, governments, political parties to solve our problems for us, thereby taking away our choice. And we're trading, we're trading down. This is very potent when it comes to things like national security and uh, giving up our Fourth Amendment right at the airport. So in order to preserve our safety, so-called safety, we submit to search and seizure at the airport when we want to fly on a plane. And we give up our civil liberties, our Fourth Amendment rights, in order to be safe. But we give up the freedom that's guaranteed to us by the Constitution. And sometimes we're a very false sense of security. And little by little, as those freedoms are stripped away, our choices stripped away in order to make us happy. I love the part where she says, dictators um, say that the people do not want freedom. They want bread and circuses. They want workmen's compensation, fringe benefits, and TV. Now, today we could say we're getting circuses. Not just TV, we're getting all of the different kinds of media and, and toys and apps and entertainment and distractions. We're getting all of it in, in a mass overload. She says, give up your free will, give up your freedom to make choice. Listen to the expert. Then you'll have three cars in your garage, stake on the table, and you will no longer have to suffer the agony of choice. The interesting thing about this agony of choice, as she says, is that you can choose poorly for yourself. You can choose between good, better, and best and only get good. But sometimes when you choose good instead of better or best, you actually keep more of your freedom. In the long run, that may be more important than anything else. And she talks about how choice is the essential ingredient of fiction and drama. For a creative person writing stories, if you limit all the choices of the characters, the story stinks. The characters of the story need choice. They need to have the ability to make wrong decisions. They need to have the ability to not be happy or to pick the harder thing instead of always the comfortable, easy thing. That's what makes the characters interesting. That's what makes them develop and grow. It's remarkable to think about how we live in a time of apparent choice. And we have a God, depicted in the Bible anyway, as God who will give us free choice, even though free choice is often not good for us. But 
God who wants us to be free will give us the opportunity to screw up. Human dictators, on the other hand, will take away the freedom and give us what they think we want or what they think we should have because they think they know best for us. But in doing that, we're captives. And I think it's very interesting that God is always in the Bible wanting to set captives free. If your friends or your leaders do not want your liberation and do not want your freedom and instead want to solve all your problems with their answers, that lack of choice will become a problem. That lack of choice will eventually become bondage. This is especially true for creative people. When limits are set on what can be said or what can what art can be done, what kind of programs we can create or watch, suddenly somebody's deciding what's best for us. Someone's deciding to be the dictator or the god with the rules. And in that way, we, we begin to lose the essence of what it means to be human, the essence of what it means to have a free will, and even to poorly pick for ourselves. I love what Madeline Lingle says about faith and art in this book, Walking on Water, and I think it's a fantastic way to refresh yourself by reading her thoughts and reflections if you get the chance to read it. You can go to sparkmymuse.com to find a link for this book, as well as 319 archived podcast episodes, ranging from neuroscience to poetry to creativity to prayer, many different topics that will interest you with many different authors, teachers, and thought leaders. I thank you so much for listening, and join me next week for another exciting episode with a guest. <laughs>